0: top of the morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. The relentless drive higher for U.S. equities continued last week with the S&P 500 closing over 5000 for the first time ever on Friday. With the market breaking that psychologically important level, the question investors are asking is, where does it go from here? Joining us today to help us answer that question is Jason Dreho, head of Asset Allocation Americas. Jason, welcome. Let's get started. Good to be here. So starting with equities, about 80% of the S&P 500 companies have reported. What are the takeaways now that the season is almost done?
1: Well, it's been a good season and a season that it has gotten better as the results have come in kind of week by week. Um, so we're about four weeks in and 80%, as you say, kind of done with the companies. Um, so if you look at just kind of earnings growth on a year-over-year basis for Q4 of 23 versus 22, uh, reported earnings are coming in about 7% um you know, above uh, consensus expectations, and also they're tracking about a 7% sort of year-over-year growth, which accelerates from the, the 4% growth in the third quarter. So it's been a uh, kind of a solid recovery after a bit of an earnings recession in the middle of last year, uh, and it's kind of better than what you know, investors were expecting going into the earnings seasons. Uh, it's pretty broad-based in terms of the beats uh, for the Magnificent 7, if we exclude N- NVIDIA, which has not reported yet. They will report, I think, on the 21st of February. Um, they are beating expectations uh, for earnings growth by about 7%. That's true for the remaining companies in S&P of 100 that have reported so far. Uh, and small caps are actually beating you know, by about 10%. Um, so that's an important point. Uh, although I would say that earnings growth, the actual growth rate, not just the beat rate, has been much stronger for the Magnificent Seven. Uh, you know, Their earnings growth is nothing sort of spectacular, growing almost at 60% sort of a year-over-year versus – slightly down for the other parts of the market. Um, but you know, the bottom line is overall, sort of better than expected, it's clear we've kind of passed the earnings drop, uh and the guidance for both Q1 and for uh, 2024 overall has kind of held in line, sort of moved in line with expectations. Uh, you know, I know our official forecast is for the uh, S&P 100 to earnings growth to be $240 kind of a share this year. Which would entail about, um, 8% growth, uh, given where 2023 will kind of come out when, when it finally settles. Um, uh, but there's probably some upside risk given sort of the strength we're seeing in the fourth quarter. So just, it sort of lifts the floor a little bit higher, uh, from the starting point. And if the overall growth rate stays, uh, you know, what we expect, we can see upside risk, you know, something to low 200, 240, 000 kind of range, uh, based on what we've seen. Um, just in terms of, uh, you know, some of the, the more interesting data points, things that are relevant for, the markets are more of a use, but also just a you know, bigger picture. Uh, you know, in, in the tech space, demand for AI infrastructure remains very strong. Uh, you know, just clearly, the, the amount of capex that's taking place is is quite significant. Last year was a year in which some of the AI kind of enablers, you know, semiconductor companies, kind of really performed well. Now it's more of the kind of building on that. You know, AI adopters, you know, companies kind of leveraging this technology, uh, you know, spending on the infrastructure to kind of make that uh, available. It's really been a key story this year, and it's certainly part of why you know the, the Max Seven, you know, X, Nvidia so far have, have had very strong results. So, bottom line on the earnings story for Q4 is we near the end, uh, a strong quarter, consistent with expectations that earnings are you know poised to to be quite tall this year. Um, uh, and certainly sort of fulfilling our expectations that the earnings growth will be close to 10% for 2024.
0: So moving forward, U.S. growth data has been very solid to start the year. What has raised concerns about inflation re-accelerating? And also January CPI data is released on Tuesday the 13th. What are your expectations for the data and how might the market react?
1: Well, on the point about the salt starts the data for growth data, uh, it is – uh, coming in you know, above expectations. When we're seeing this in the labor market, we saw this with fourth quarter GDP that's now continued in the first quarter of this year, where the Atlanta Fed uh, Q1 GDP tracking estimate is at 3.4%. So, no real signs of, of letdown for the U.S. economy on the growth front, which does kind of raise concerns about not a soft landing, but perhaps you know, does the economy kind of slow down at all? Uh, and could it risk inflation reaccelerating, as you mentioned? Um, so the key data points this week will be the CPI data for January that we get on Tuesday the 13th, and then later in the week we get PPI data, uh, the producer price index uh, also for January. The consensus expectations uh, for the data are an increase of 0.2% and 0.3% month over month for kind of headline and core CPI, so a little bit stronger for core. And that would translate to um, year-over-year numbers of inflation of headline inflation of 2.9% um, and 3.7% for uh, the headline core CPI. Those would be both down from the prior month of, I think, it was 3.4% and 39 So, the general direction of travel is still for inflation to kind of continue to come down. Disinflation is progressing. Uh, this is sort of what is expected. This is what the market's been pricing for. Uh, what really will matter is the details of our court. Uh, we've seen goods inflation actually turn into outright deflation with good prices falling to some extent. Uh, and, and, and very low, so they continue likely to be kind of more, kind of flat on a year-over-year year basis. So the focus really is on the, um, the specific area of inflation, the non-shelter core services CPI. So for context, you know services will be 65-70% of the CPI basket. Uh, shelter, you know, is around a third of the overall CPI. So that puts about 35 40% of the total CPI basket in this non-shelter kind of core services category. Uh, the reason why we focus a lot on that is because that's the most wage-sensitive, uh, and if you see sort of stickiness or hot labor market or wages not coming down, as we saw in the January print, their average earnings did surprisingly kind of jump. Um, you know, could that be a sign of, you know, the this specific part of inflation not coming down? Because the disinflation that we've had from goods yeah, that won't last indefinitely. So for the Fed to really want to cut rates and cut rates aggressively, they'd want to see this part of the inflation basket, uh, you know, move lower. Um, now because shelter is likely to continue to decline due to the lagged effects of picking up kind of rents declining, or at least not growing nearly as rapidly as the past year versus 21 and 22, shelter inflation should fall, used cars prices should fall. So other parts of inflation should come down. That's why the numbers are, are going lower. But it's really this part of the, the inflation basket that's going to get the most attention. As a result of that, when we get the numbers you know, for C- CPI, the market reaction, is, I'd say it's probably a little bit more asymmetric in terms of how we respond to good news, meaning below consensus, or negative news, meaning above consensus. Given the market is pretty confident in this disinflation story and certainly pricing for that, um, You know, if the CPI data comes in line or a little bit below expectations, I think it's, it's incrementally positive, but it's not necessarily kind of a market mover. Whereas if it surprises to the upside and particularly there's some signs of maybe just this non shelter core services accelerating, that would be a concern to the markets because it just further delays when the Fed could feel comfortable to um, you know to cut rates and given that the markets already moved a lot in the fed's direction uh, meaning the Fed in December laid out the scenario where they would expect to cut rates three times this year the market at some point was between six and seven rate cuts. Now it's down to around four and a half. So it certainly moves a lot closer to the Fed. Um So there's, I think the scope for disappointment is, is less now than it would have been you know, four or five weeks ago. But I think given that if inflation does run hot, the fear would be the Fed may be cut even less than the three times, Um and certainly not until later this year, which um, that's the scenario the market's not priced for. So that's the, the story. Disinflation continues. But the market really wants to see you know, improvement on a sponsor-specific area that, that is is part of that that could drive the Fed decision more than anything else.
0: So, Jason, turning to the market, what does all of this data suggest for the direction of travel from here now that the S&P 500 has reached the 5,000 level?
1: Well, the data that we've had thus far this year really is kind of consistent with a kind of a Goldilocks scenario where growth definitely moderates much at all. It's currently growing above trend, like, as I said, like, you know, 3.4 percent potentially in Q1. Yeah, we have seen continued signs of sort of disinflation progress that would allow the Fed to cut rates. We think still, you know, May, but that you know May or June. But right now, our base case is May. Uh, you can see, given that those macro kind of fundamentals, why the S and P has been able to grind higher and move past the 5,000, certainly supported by the AI story, the tech story that's kind of driven the magnificent seven as well. If this goldilocks scenario kind of continues to play out, you know, the rest of the year, and it's not our base case; it's our upside scenario. Then we think equities can go higher. You know the price target under the goldilocks scenario is 5,300 by year end, which would imply about six or seven percent, you know, price return between now and year end uh, if we were to reach it. Um, but if you get any sort of real disruption on that inflation story, if growth kind of starts to slow more sharply, or if the Fed doesn't cut rates, you're know, close to what the markets pricing. There is certainly scope for disappointment, not only of achieving the goldilocks scenario, but also for Maybe a bit of a pullback in the markets, um, you know, as, as the data doesn't sort of play out as investors expect. Now, in the very near term, it's unlikely we're going to get any one or two data points that really kind of shift the narrative relative to this pretty benign macroeconomic scenario, which means, you know, the path of least resistance for the moment is probably, you know, higher rather than lower. Um, investor position is getting elevated, but it's not necessarily stretched. So there's certainly scope for investors to buy more. Uh, I think it's noteworthy that on the retail fund flow side, Nearly $200 billion has gone into money market funds year-to-date, whereas the amount of money that's gone into equity funds is you know, around $40 billion, a little bit more than that. So almost a, a 4 to 1, 5 to 1 ratio of money market versus equity flows. So investors, I think, are a little bit cautious about chasing too much of the performance thus far. Uh, so the moves could also on equities hinge on what happens in, in rates and fixed income, We've seen the ten year you know bounce around this year from a low of around three point eight percent to a high of about four point two percent and that's kind of kind of where we are you know uh, you know now we're kind of you know, touching the the higher end of the range with the ten year nearly at four point two percent uh we think it's possible that you know the ten year could go a little bit higher but it, you know not let's just say much higher than say four and a quarter four and, you know point three percent and for two reasons. One is that as it goes much higher, you likely see investors kind of step in and buy a kind of longer duration, you know, provide a bit of a floor to bond prices and therefore capping how high yields would go. And that's also fueled by the expectations that the Fed will cut rates. And so they were, you know, already had the peak in, in rates this cycle last fall. Uh, and the fact that the market has moved much closer to Fed pricing, as I mentioned, going from, you know, almost six and a half cuts this year down to four and a half, getting, you know, now closer to kind of the three what the Fed is projecting. You know, if it can use moving that range of the three cuts this year, the 10-year can go higher. But given how much it's already moved and where the market's already moved in terms of expectations on cuts, again, it seems like it's kind of an view kind of capped of how high the 10-year is going to go. If that's the case, it also means that there's limits to how much equities would pull back if rates aren't going to shoot up again to, like you know, 4.5% or, or 5% as they did last fall. So near-term bottom line is, uh, you know, rates kind of stay range-bound. You know, they could just a little bit higher, but not too much higher. That sort of mitigates some of the downside risk in the short term for for U.S. equities. So, you know, the path for them to be you know, kind of go higher, but a lot of this is all conditional on the economic data to continue to come in, you know, very very favorably, which it has. Uh, we've learned over the past couple of years that these goldilocks environments tend not to last, and definitely they might last for you know a few months, and then some data that will come along that sort of. You know, docks over the apple cart, so to speak. Um, and when that happens, that's hard to say, but uh, that certainly is a risk at some point, in addition to the other risks of geopolitical factors, things of that sort.
0: So, finally, how should investors be positioning their portfolios in light of the economic and market outlook?
1: Well, in our base case, you know, the main message we have is to kind of buy quality stocks and bonds. Uh, we continue to sort of reiterate that. If we look at the equity market performance this year in terms of sort of styles or factors, Quality is done quite well, you know, and tech sector, which is one of our more preferred sectors, you know, is adequately or substantially represented in quality because of both the earnings growth and relatively low you know, leverage and their high returns on, on capital. So we think that will continue to work. Investors will continue to sort of gravitate towards that. Now, certainly, if they're worried about the economy running hot, the Fed having to stay more restrictive for longer. That does raise uh, a little bit of tail risk, down, downside tail risk later on this year or next year, that if the Fed has to do more, maybe the only way they bring inflation down is to stay really restrictive for a long period of time. And the longer they do that, the greater the risk that ultimate economy does tip into recession and experience a hard landing. So I think just for given the performance, I think investors and the markets can use to favor quality, as do we at this point in time. And similarly, on the fixed income side, uh, spreads have compressed a lot for you know, corporate credit in particular. And if I think the risk award is not that attractive when you can get pretty compelling yields on higher-quality fixed income, including you know, high-quality investment-grade corporate bonds, munis, and securitized products such as agency MBS and higher-quality CMBS that have spreads relative to other parts of the market that are you know, relatively cheap um, for low, relatively low you know, credit risk. Uh, but going back to the kind of the Gold lock scenario, we think that's an environment that if it continues to play out, ultimately will be quite beneficial to small-caps uh, that have lagged this year, I think on some of those concerns about maybe rates staying higher for longer and that potentially, uh, leading to the cycle ending with a hard landing, you know, let's say end of this year, early next year. As those fears abate, if we do start to get those credit rate cuts, then given the, the earnings trajectory we see for small caps and their valuations at a significant discount to large, we think there's a, a significant scope for them to, to catch up, certainly in that Goldilocks scenario do well in a base case, uh, but, but even more so on the, the Goldilocks scenario that continues to sort of play out. So those are the two kind of main kind of ideas is uh, the quality stocks, you know, for the base case and small caps, you know, certainly to be positioned for this Goldilocks continuing.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Jason.
1: You're welcome. Have a great week.